Welcome to Pistec's Health and Wellness Show. Today, our show is part of our partnership with Medical Fair Asia, Southeast Asia's leading trade exhibition for the medical and healthcare industry. Our guest today is Kaylin Ng. She's the CEO of Haikura Medical. Haikura Medical is a medical device company based out of Singapore. The company aims to empower medical professionals by using AI to enable automatic image-based guidance during medical procedures. Now to tell us more, welcome to the show, Kaylin. Thank you, Brian. Very excited to be on the show. For a start, could you tell us about Haikura and its journey so far? Haikura was actually an NUS spin-off. Um, it was part of a research collaboration between Sing Health or KK Hospital with NUS. And um, the project that we were, we were collaborating on is called USIGN. It was uh, very successful in the early clinical trials, and that's when we decided to incorporate Haikura to commercialize the product. And that's where we incorporated Haikura back in 2019, and it has been amazing three years so far. And I'm going to ask you more about your entrepreneurial journey a little bit later. But what are some of the problems that you're trying to solve with Haikura? So the doctors in uh, KK Hospital were doing a lot of epidurals on a daily basis. So women uh, who were going to undergo a labor would go to KK Hospital to deliver the baby. And the, the epidural rate is really um, very high. So the doctors would have uh, many epidurals done a day. Um, they were trying to envision a better way to do epidural um, to reduce the number of needle punctures for those these women who has to do a spinal anesthesia or epidural. And so we came up with a better way to do it um, by using AI to incorporate AI into the image processing. So the typical way a, a doctor would do epidural is that they would actually use their fingers to palpate the bony structures of the spine. Um, then they would, based on the palpation of the, the fingers on the spine, they would uh, locate the right needle entry location and uh, needle entry angle to put the needle into the spine for the spinal anesthesia or epidural. Now, although this has been a, a, a good way, uh, but it works very effectively for normal women with normal BMI, uh, is, but uh, for women with a higher BMI, what we call the more challenging patient, is actually ineffective because you, the doctors won't be able to palpate and touch and feel the bones as much because of the layer of fats okay. under the skin layer. Uh, and so it has been very challenging for the doctors when they uh, have a high BMI patient come to them. And of course, when women are pregnant, uh, there's also some psychological changes as well as physical changes. Um, the BMI tends to go up a little bit lah, because we tend to eat a little <laughs> bit more for, the, for ourselves and for the baby as well. Uh, so um, this is one of the challenge. The other challenge is with the experience of the doctors. So this is really by feeling, right? So if you have a very junior doctor come in or someone um, that just graduated from medical school, they don't have really a lot of experience in feeling the bones. And so um, the first attempt success rate may not be as high as a, a more experienced doctor. So to overcome these two issues, these two problems, or we wanted to encourage the doctors to use ultrasound to actually scan the, the spine of the patient. And by using ultrasound, you can actually see the bony structures underneath the skin layer. So basically, you know where those structures are without feeling, just by imaging. 
And then yeah. you will actually, from the ultrasound, know where's the actual insertion point and angle to reach the epidural space. Uh, however, there is a certain resistance to using ultrasound. Um, and that's because um, uh, these are anesthesiologists. Uh, they are, uh, of course, they have used ultrasound before, but to use ultrasound on the spinal part, which may look a little bit different from what they're used to, uh, it may be a bit challenging and will require many hours of training and hands-on experience before they are being competent. They are competent in this. So the doctors in KKH was like thinking, hey, there must be a better way to do this. And that's why the collaboration with NUS uh, started. And that's why that's where the project USIGN was being born. So USIGN is actually using AI technology to automatically identify the spinal landmarks on the ultrasound imaging in real time when the doctor is doing the scan. Uh, so by doing that, the doctor will be more confident of uh, the structures they are seeing on the ultrasound images uh, with the help of U-Sign and U-Sign will guide them to find the correct needle insertion point and angle for a successful first attempt. Okay, so Caitlin, how does the AI learn and what is the base case in terms of the base level of knowledge? Right. So we have done, this has been a study that has been ongoing for eight years, eight, nine years already. So okay. we have put a lot of resources into this project. Uh, we started off by getting uh, volunteers scanned. So these are healthy volunteers and we just need to have a scan of their back. So we recruited about 40 healthy volunteers to start the project. So we wanted to understand uh, what are the structures that we're looking at. Uh, we asked the doctors to help us do a scan. We save all these videos and this would help in the training of the um, machine learning algorithm. And, we, oh, and it's also really a POC, a, a proof of concept. We wanted to know if this idea would really work. And so with the uh, videos from the 40 volunteers, we um, found that it's actually working very good. We are using a, a machine learning algorithm that didn't really require so much uh, training data. It, we, we didn't use deep learning. You know, deep learning we require um, tons of data. Yes. So we know that it's difficult to collect that much um, uh, video analysis of the spine using ultrasound because these are typically not the something that the doctors uh, or the hospital would collect. These are really the ultrasound uh, scans are really to help the doctors put in the needle. So typically they don't save the scan. So we're using a, a, another kind of a machine learning algorithm to actually do that. And we've done it successfully. So we actually um, started a first clinical trial on actual patient with 100 um, easy patients. These are the patients with normal, normal BMI um, to verify that uh, the, our algorithm works. And we have a very successful 92% first attempt success rate. That's a lot higher than the global yeah. uh, success yeah. rate, which is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kaylin, it's 50 to 60%, right? Yes, that's right. Um, Yes, so that's that, that's that 100 patient. Every clinical trial that we did, uh, the data that we got from there, the scanning videos of the, of the patients that we got from, got from there, improves our algorithm even more. So the next step was to really capture the data for the more challenging patient, and that's, that's the high BMI patient. That's mm -hmm. our next step because that's where the doctors were having a lot of difficulty with. So the success rate of those patients can actually be about 40%, 30-40%, which means that more than half of these uh, patients actually require multiple punctures. And um, when I'm talking to some of the doctors in the US or in Australia, they were telling me that some of uh, the more challenging ones can actually require about three or four needle punctures. Uh, so it is really uh, very traumatic for, for a patient uh, to have to go through so many needle punctures for pain relief. Just to put things in its context, yeah. this the patient can actually feel, correct, these punctures. 
Yeah, so there are different practices across the field. Um, some of them would actually use some kind of uh, um, anesthesia. The first, the first needle that goes in is actually for um, local anesthesia, so that okay. to numb the area that the needle is being put in. Um, but some of uh, the other uh, hospitals in the other places, I've heard them not using that first shot of a local anesthesia. So yes, um, if you don't have the first shot of a local anesthesia, the women are going to feel it uh, much more. Uh, even then, every needle punctures um, would introduce some kind of um, danger because there would be complications from likelihood of infection. Uh, and you don't you really want to limit the number of needle punctures. Um, Caitlin, what are some of the complications that, that come about um, if, for example, uh, perhaps the person's uh, needle punctures get infected? Um, some of the complications, um, the, of course, the most, um, <clears throat> the most severe one would be paralysis. And that's when your nerves uh, get actually damaged by the needle. Uh, but that is very rare. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that um, it is very rare. Like, that is a very, very rare uh, occurrence. Um, the other complications would include, or one of the more common ones would include a post-dural puncture headache. That's where the needle goes a little bit too deep and then uh, the cerebrospinal fluid in your spinal cord starts to leak out. That would cause a very, very severe headache that would um, require you to be hospitalized uh, one or two days more to be under observation. Now, the other kind of complication is, of course, infection in at the puncture spot. So if you could have an epidural abscess, uh, that, which is a cause of um, infection, and this could be um, quite serious for, for to, to have an abscess in, in a very dangerous part of your body, which is the spinal cord area. So overall, then, if, if I could summarize this, and correct me if I'm wrong, you sign basically kind of will help reduce the whole procedural time. I think that's one of the key things that's pretty obvious then. If you can actually have a clear image and so forth, you know exactly where you want to go as, a, as, a, as, the, as the specialist, reduction in procedure time. Um, I would think then because you're not poking around, you have better clinical outcomes. And I suppose then the third big advantage then would be better for the patient. So patient satisfaction is, is better, right? Is, is, is that about right? Yes, and for me, really, the patient satisfaction is because I, I, I have two wonderful boys, so I have been through this procedure twice. Uh, for me, really, uh, I was very traumatic when I went through uh, spinal anesthesia for my cesarean, for my, the birth of my second child. I had multiple punctures and I was literally crying throughout the birth of my second child because I thought I was not in good hands. And so really, for me, um, the patient satisfaction is one of the most important but that's be, me being a patient. And of course, for the doctors, definitely uh, increasing the patient outcome would be very, very important as well. Now, U-Sign is supposed to be device agnostic. Tell us how that works. Basically, um, U-Sign runs on a standalone tablet. Uh, we take images from the ultrasound machine, so we don't really need to... Um, it can come from any machines. Lah. So uh, 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 theoretically, GE, Philip, uh, or any other uh, ultrasound machine, as long as we can collect the images that's um, shown on the screen, we'll be able to tap the image, send it to the tablet that's running sign, analyze this image, and then we'll get our um, AI algorithm to do that magic. And then all the annotations will start to appear in real time 
during ultrasound scan. So all this takes less than, um, so you don't, there is no visible lag between what you see on the ultrasound screen of the device that on the ultrasound machine and U-Sign. So the U-Sign would just be a tablet that's attached to the ultrasound machine. You have two screens, but the screen, the U-Sign screen would definitely have the annotations that will help you to guide you, to guide the doctors to find the correct needle insertion spot. Now, tell us a little bit of where you are at in terms of your journey, in terms of the adoption of U-Sign in hospitals in Singapore. Right. So, um, we have our HSA approval, so I'm very, very happy and honored to announce this, that we have our HSA approval as a class B medical device, okay. uh, and that we are in uh, talks with KK Hospital to actually uh, have a license, a U-Sign license, so they will be able to start using this on a clinical basis to try to benefit, and this would have benefits for all the Singaporean patients in Singapore who is going for KK Hospital for their epidural, for their labor, if they want an epidural or spinal anesthesia, U-Sign can definitely help. We are trying to expand this use of U-Sign overseas as well. Um, and so we are working very hard with uh, authorities, the regulatory authorities um, over at, um, first of all, it's CE, so Europe, and then TGA, FDA, and then maybe even the neighboring countries, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, and all this would come. Okay, so um, is there any sort of roadmap and timeline in terms of when you think this will go out in Singapore? Because obviously, you're at the, the stage where you're just starting to be, uh, for the product to be used in Singapore in a in a day-to-day a -day basis. So what sort of, just for the audience to understand, what sort of timeline does it normally take before hospitals start to adopt that because the medical industry is a very highly regulated industry. Yes. Um, so this will bring me right from the start. Um, of course, for any new product to be uh, used, especially medical product, it does need to be verified that it is safe and efficient. Uh, efficacy must be there. So basically, we have to do a lot of clinical study. So even if you have a prototype or you have a product in hand, you are not able to sell it. So you have to go through clinical studies to make sure that your product um, has no uh, adverse event or side effects, uh, uh, bad side effects. Um, and then once you have completed the, the clinical studies, um, the company needs to go to submit all this data to the regulatory authority in the various countries in Singapore. That would be the Health Science Sciences Authority, HSA. Then they would look through um, the clinical trial results, uh, the clinical report, as well as the company's um, QMS or what we call the quality management system to make sure that you're actually, you have a qualified system in place uh, in your company, uh, you're locked down all the um, version history um, uh, and other uh, important documents, like supplier, who are suppliers, how you manage the suppliers and so on and so forth. Uh, so HSA will go through all these documents to make sure that the company is a reputable one, um, the product is safe and, and good to use then they will give the approval. So once the, the HSA has the approval, it just means that you are okay to sell. And then the normal way of the processes of selling processes, which I think uh, every company will be familiar with, you need to have a demand, uh, you need to have a, a buyer for it. Um, <clears throat> and the buyer needs to, uh, then you need to do all your marketing like the, to convince the buyer that uh, they need this product and then, and then all that. So um, for a hospital system, uh, there are also some IT compliance, uh, security compliance that you have to uh, make sure that you meet those 
before you can set up the system in the hospital in the hospital environment. So then you have to go through that. And of course, uh, the hospital needs to have a budget to buy your product. And so we have to go through that cycle as well. So um, fortunately for my device, um, we run uh, really on a subscription basis. We are more like a software as a medical device. Lah. So we are more software-based. So we run on a subscription basis. Okay. So hopefully that will make uh, things a little bit easier because it's not a large capex on the hospital. Kaylin, it's been a fascinating conversation, but I want to now focus on you and your entrepreneurial journey. Tell us about some of the challenges in your journey as you moved away from being an academic in NUS and doing your PhD, uh, 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 your PhD into the, the, and plunging deep into the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, so really, it all started um, when I was doing my PhD in NUS. La. So I was, you know, PhD is like four years of your time <laughs> to do the research. And then, of course, you get a, a certificate after that uh, or um, to say that, oh, you're a PhD, you graduated with a PhD. But really, if you can make something out for, during that four years that would help benefit the population, you know, why not commercialize it? You are the person who has done this for four years. You are the one who is most familiar with the product. And so commercializing it would be a very natural path. However, um, um, we are engineering students, right? So <laughs> we don't really know a lot about the business world. So you do need to have a certain courage to actually take a step to venture into the entrepreneurial world. Uh, and of course, uh, there has been a lot of support, I said before, uh, a lot of support um, with uh, Singapore government, with the grant system in Singapore, as well as from NUS. So I was on the GRIP program, on GRIP stands for uh, Graduate Research Innovation Program. And so uh, they give us workshops, uh, they give us um, grant to actually, uh, actually it's not a grant, it's a convertible note system, but yes, they do give us a little bit of the money to start off that, that to take that first step and to venture into the entrepreneurial world. And I was also on several other accelerators uh, because of course, uh, med tech companies do need a little bit more support lah, because of the complicated system require, uh, requirements with the hospital patient, you, uh, the user who's the doctors in our case, the regulation and government. So we yeah. do need to have a little bit of help, in, uh, especially for MedTech. So I was part of a Jumpstart program. Uh, Jumpstart program is an initiative by the three universities in Singapore to try to commercialize um, uh, and bring out some of the medical technology from the universities. So I do have a lot of help from that. And, because, and the other one that uh, I had a lot of help was from MedTech Actuator in Australia, because that was the place that we wanted to venture into um, overseas. So just to mention, uh, just to go back to your question, um, the startup journey so far, uh, there has really been a lot of help from other people. Uh, I, I don't believe that the entrepreneur can do it alone, la, especially for first-time entrepreneur who, doesn't, who don't really have a lot of experience. So uh, have an open heart, open mind to actually listen to mentors around you who have done that and they would help you avoid some of the pitfalls uh, very early on. Now, looking ahead, what's your funding strategy like as you go towards greater commercialization? We are looking to raise USD 1.5 million in this round. And what will that basically allow you to do? It will allow me to achieve the regulatory approval from the other countries. It will allow us to expand internationally. Now, Caitlin, it's been a fascinating conversation. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? 
I'll, I'll just like to say that um, U-Sign is really a product that would revolutionize the way the doctors are doing ultra, uh, are doing epidurals and spinal anesthesia, even lumbar puncture. Uh, and uh, it increases the safety of the patient. It increases the satisfaction of the patient. So I hope that uh, more doctors will consider using ultrasound and U-Sign to do their procedure. Um, please let me know if you're interested. Now, Kaylin, thank you very much for taking your time to be on the show. Thank you, Brian. I'm Brian Fernandez, and we've been speaking to Kaylin Ng, the CEO of Haikura Medical, on BizTech's health and wellness show. This show is part of our partnership with Medical Fair Asia. Check out their website at www.medicalfair-asia.com for more details on their upcoming trade show. This video and podcast will be on BizTech's website, www.biztech.asia, as well as our syndication partners, TV stations, radio stations, and third-party websites. Please like and subscribe to our various platforms. Thanks again for tuning in.